Hello, this is Leah Cardos. I'm the leader of the Kingston University Stylophone Orchestra, and you are listening to Stuart Pink on Phoenix FM. Yes, it is. And zooming onto the show, I am delighted to be joined by musician, composer, author, senior lecturer, and queen of the Kingston University Stylophone Orchestra, Leah Cardos. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me on. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Um, can you describe the scene for our listeners? Where are you zooming in from? Oh, I'm zooming in from London, England, where it is drizzly and grey, which is what you would expect. Very uh, yeah, good. standard Hot issue. Mm-hmm. Postcard weather. Um, yeah. yeah. Looks like a very musical backdrop we have there. Yeah, this is actually uh, my boyfriend's office. He's a musician too. Um, uh-huh. I'm just dossing in here today because I'm working from home. So. <laughs> you kicked him out that's just yeah exactly taken over the studio awesome uh now regular listeners of my show will be uh fully aware of my infamous stylophone renditions on air uh but in the hands of a true musician the stylophone can produce real magic uh and with that in mind uh could you tell us a bit about where your love for the the stylophone began um, it began by accident, uh, to be honest. I found myself in possession of a bunch of stylophones. They were donated to um, the studio where I work, Visconti Studio, and um, just as an archive. But when I saw them all together, I thought, you know, we should definitely make a band or an ensemble out of this. So that's where it started. Um, but, of course, I'm also a big David Bowie fan, so already the style of foam was on my radar as a, um, you know, a, a niche, weird little instrument that I wanted to get my hands on anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it was just meant to be, I guess. So this, this bunch of stylophones just turned up, like, in the back of a lorry and uh <laughs> Pretty much, I mean, in, in a car boot, yeah, in, in the back of a car. Um, the, the company that makes them, Debrec, um, were uh, visiting with Tony Visconti and he wanted to do that meeting at the studio, so I was there too. And so they, they showed up with all these instruments. Uh, it was, yeah, it was amazing. And they keep sending me instruments. Uh, they're brilliant. <laughs> they so are pretty I've awesome. I've got boxes yeah. and boxes of them, yeah. <laughs> Can't move for stylophones. Beautiful. Yeah, it's like that. So that's where your relationship began. Uh, we've mentioned the university orchestra. How did that kind of come into being? Was it an instant penny drop moment or did it boil away for a little while? Yeah, uh, it was just it, the name Kingston University Stylophone Orchestra just seemed a little bit ridiculous. And I thought that works. Um and I wanted to treat it like a real orchestra. So, you know, we print scores and we rehearse in sections and there's the first stylophone and the second stylophone and the third. So we do treat it like an orchestra. And, um, and yeah, the idea was just also about choirs, you know, like you don't have to necessarily be a brilliant singer, but when you're part of a choir, it's, it's a beautiful sound. And difference and texture and strangeness makes choirs even more beautiful. And so I thought... When you've got enough of these strange sounds together, I bet it sounds pretty awesome. You know, the more the merrier. And I think I was right. You know, when, you know, the more people that join the orchestra and the more layers of the sound we get, I think the the more beautiful the instrument becomes. And then it became almost like a game. It's like, how gorgeous can we make this, you know, buzzy little thing? How, what can yeah. we do with it? Um, all the things we can do with it. I think in the orchestra we play while we sing. So we, we blend the voices with the stylophone sometimes we use the stylus as like a little scratch pad and we create percussion with them and of course yeah we just play all together um, as, as an ensemble plus we've got other electronica too and it then it became okay so let's just limit ourselves to battery powered small cheap 
electronic instruments. So we've got oh, wow. the full range of stylophone things. There's a beatbox. There's a Gen, Gen uh, X1, which is like a bleepy machine. And then we've got all the different stylophone models. They also made a prototype called the Gen R8, which is semi-modular. So actually there's a lot of different stylophone tones on their own to explore. Yeah, I mean, there's the original one, but then, like I say, there's so much more kind of elements and shades to it. I guess, like any orchestra, there's you're limited by the electronic battery powered instruments, but there's still a huge range of stuff yeah, you can do. Yeah, yeah. There was, you know, um, I think going back and looking at how Bowie performed on the instrument was quite instructive because there's, um, you know, there's a demo out there of him writing Space Oddity and he's using, he's cupping his hand over the speaker and you can hear him doing volume envelopes on the instrument itself and just ways that he plays it uh, live and the way he handles it, you know, it it sort of showed us that actually you can poke at it with the stylus, but you can also sort of hold it and manipulate different aspects of it and detune it and play the volume control. So even though it is quite limited, the limitation, you know, it inspires ingenuity and and creativity. And so you think, well, in this small range of things we can do, what can we do? And all of a sudden then it becomes, becomes a lot of fun i guess in a university setting that's ideal to sort of explore what you can get out of this one thing yeah i'm going to see if i can pass it off as research in inverted, <laughs> inverted commas and see what they say <laughs> <laughs> so what was the initial reaction when you started sort of uh, trying to recruit for the uh, kingston university stylophone orchestra um were people like kind of really excited but did you get a few people go what are you doing? What yeah, is this? I wouldn't. I wouldn't <laughs> say anyone was really excited, apart from me. I'm not sure anyone believed in it, um, aside from myself. Um, and yeah, the students that came along at the start, I'd like to believe they were interested in electronica experimentation, but maybe they just thought that I'd give them a better grade if they came along to my silly orchestra. <laughs> I don't know, but that but that first group, um, we really did sort of try and figure it out. And, um, you know, there, there's actually a journey of that that's actually documented for good or bad on YouTube. One of the members, Mari Dangerfield, who's a brilliant electronic musician in her own right, um, was video blogging all of those early sessions where we didn't know what we were doing and we, oh, was, wow. we sounded really bad. We didn't know how to tune up. And so you can see us kind of figuring all that stuff out in this series of video blogs which um yeah it it really shows you know how far we've come in terms of not just understanding the instrument but listening to each other and becoming an ensemble which is also part of the thing as well you know you've got to learn it's like a band you've got to learn how to play together yeah were there any big sort of rock star moments when someone threw the stylophone at someone else (laughs) stylophone one The power yeah, got to the head. no, there's been a lot of breakages. <laughs> I don't know if that's de- down to rock star wow. behavior, though. It might just be down to plastic. Gone <laughs> full of the who with a stylophone. <laughs> yeah, who drops a cup, you know, dropping coffee on things and, and breaking plastic cables and stuff like that. No, oh there's not much rock star behavior. Um, I think the most rock star thing I've seen is like maybe somebody trying to get the theremin to play a melody, and that's just desperation. That's not rock and roll. That's. Um, <laughs> Uh, that's just struggle bus yeah <laughs> like any orchestra is is there a conductor is that is that you uh who gets the the, the gigs that and more importantly are the uh, conductor sticks kind of attached together um in true xylophone fashion i don't i don't have a baton um but i do conduct um the orchestra when i have to um 
at the moment, I'm sort of there with this big station where I also work the rhythm machine. So we have these Volker units that are set to do sequences um, for drums and stuff. And so I kind of run those, which once they're going, I don't need to conduct. But if they're not on, then I have to keep everybody in time, um, which in a way it's a shame because I would quite like to just be in the orchestra myself and and play yeah. with them. <laughs> yeah. Or start a phone withdrawal symptoms. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so the orchestra have put together uh, an album, Stylophonica, uh, which we're going to hear a bit of in a minute, uh, produced at Visconti Studios, where I know you and legendary producer Tony Visconti spend a lot of time. Uh, from what I've read, it seems like a, a really cool place to hang out. Tell us a bit about the studio and uh, your experience working there with, with Tony. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a bit of a dream come true to be honest uh, I don't know how I've managed it but um you know I was <laughs> always been a Bowie fan and um got to know Tony a little bit through just being a fan so I don't know if people remember but you know David Bowie had his own website and his own social media thing in the late 90s called Bowie Net and I was on there and a lot of the people that were working with Bowie were on there and they, they organized meetups and stuff and maybe sometimes Tony would visit and he'd say hi. So that's how I knew him. We weren't really friends or anything, and certainly we hadn't worked together. And then many years later, I landed this job at Kingston, and there's this wonderful space, this octagon. It's huge, you know, 300-square-metre space that um, wanted to make into a studio. And somewhere along the line, we sort of got some money to put gear in there, and then it was sort of asking Tony, well, you know, if we're going to invest in all this analogue gear, should we, uh, you know, tell me what to buy? Because I don't know, like, what did you use back in the day? What's important? <laughs> who knows? And yeah. then that conversation like evolved into like, do you want to use the studio? How about if we put your name on it? Would you know, would you come and use it? You know, or do you like to teach? Sometimes <laughs> it became this thing, <laughs> and then eventually, you know, Kingston um, conferred an honorary doctorate on Tony. Now he's Doctor Visconti, and also a visiting professorship. So. You know, he drops in um, and engages with the students. And he also uses the studio himself. Um, and it's brilliant. You know, I mean, there's certainly, you know, as a musicologist um, and a person who teaches music technology, it's one thing to read in a book or analyse a recording and then try and teach something. And it's a totally other thing to, like, sit with the person who produced it and yeah. Um, get the real story and watch them work and you know um, see their creative process in real time I think that's the really great thing about it um, so yeah it's brilliant I, I mean how lucky am I huh no exactly I mean the way to keep the, the tech up to date is to get someone in who knows what they're doing to use it all the time yeah absolutely yeah and you know now our students know how to work with tape and um, gosh, you know, because of me and Tony, they probably know more than they probably want to about Bowie and Mark Boland and Cindy and all of that. But you got to keep, you got to pass that stuff down. It's important. Exactly. I can remember doing my music technology with my music tech teacher who didn't know who Jean Michel Jarre was. I mean, that. Oh to my me God. Is Did you ask for your money back? I, I wish I had. <laughs> I wish I had. Oh, that's a terrible state of affairs. I, I thought you'd be offended by that, uh, that one. <laughs> I'm offended. So before we talk about the album, uh, I thought for our FM listeners, we'd have a, we'd have a listen to one of my favourite tracks from it by the uh, my musical hero, the aforementioned Jean-Michel Jarre, Oxygen yes. Part 4, as performed by the Kingston University Stylophone Orchestra. Uh, what memories of this track uh, or does, what does that now bring to you when you hear it, uh, the recording of it? 
Um, it brings to mind um, having to teach everybody the on the actual thing because it was a really quick movement and everyone was like what and i had to film myself playing it and send it to them to like just practice and watch ultra slow-mo it's a flick of the wrist (laughs) i couldn't like tell them that i had to just show them so that's what i think of when i listen to that and of course on the recording we didn't want to because you know the original is this wonderful solo that just flies off into the ether um and what i did instead was i did it very simply and i just laid it laid it laid it laid it laid it so um when i think about our version of it i think of it as like the 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 boiled egg version (laughs) (laughs) it's just sort of like the 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 thing the essence and only the thing but you know it was really fun to do loads of fun it's also certainly captured a lot of the original in it Uh, so do you want to introduce it for us we'll give it a listen Yes, sure. Uh, So this is um, Oxygen Part 4, as performed by the Kingston University Stylophone Orchestra. It's a podcast edit with just a chat, but if you want to hear the music and that, go online and check it out. It's a cracking track, there ain't no doubt, but the podcast gods, the silly fools, will shut us down for breaking rules. So if you want to hear this awesome song, go to phoenixfm.com. Before you go and dig that sound, we'll continue our chat, so... Stick around. This is Phoenix 98 FM. Jean-Michel Oxygen Part 4 from the album Stylophonica as performed by the Kingston University Stylophone Orchestra and arranged by the fearless leader of that, Leo Cardos. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Uh, the first time I heard that, I was, I was blown away uh, by this, what I could be doing with a stylophone. I uh, haven't quite achieved yet. Uh, but do you know, as, as John heard it, your, your oh, version I of it? Oh, I don't know. The idea of that really does terrify me to my core. So, <laughs> um, yeah, the idea that, like, Jean-Michel Jarre or Brian Eno would, like, you know, hear my stylophone versions, it just really is nightmare material. So I prefer not to think <laughs> about that. I reckon. I mean, he's into all these electronical stuff. I'm surprised he hasn't used a stylophone already. <laughs> well, I think the cover of our um, album is a little bit of a nod to Equinox, um, which yes. I'm pretty pleased about. It is a beautiful cover. Yeah, I was so pleased with it when I saw it. How did that come about? Was it a, a commissioned piece? or? Yeah, so um, Eric Lee uh, works with um gavin from spun out of control records i mean i didn't know anything about um all that stuff all, all we said was that we wanted it to look like a one of those vintage library music albums um where you know these obscure electronic albums that were done on you know little imprints in the 60s and 70s and that's that was all we said and um eric came back with that stunning image and we were just like oh my gosh that is just so beautiful to look at yeah i was so pleased it is cool. It's, I feel like you need a wallpaper created out of that all around yeah. the Fiscani studios. <laughs> yeah, I, I would happily live. Yeah, I would happily live in that image. Awesome. So there are loads more tracks on the album. Obviously, um, one that really had to be on there uh, was was clearly David Bowie's Space Oddity. I'm guessing this was heavily influenced by by you. Yeah, of course, it had to be on there. But also, um, that was the first recording we ever made. So you know, we formed in 2019. And we were just focused on figuring out how to actually play together. And that year it culminated in a couple of performances. And um, we come back after the summer and um, Tony was visiting the, the studio. So um, 
I just thought, would you like to record the style for an orchestra? Not even thinking about much <laughs> else. And then it was happened to also be that very month, the 50th anniversary of the songs, Bass Oddity. Oh, wow, and, you yeah, know, Tony yeah. produced that album, uh, but he didn't produce that song. You know, there's this lovely uh, myth about, you know, this is now a pop culture myth, but it is true that, um, yeah, he thought it was a novelty song. He didn't want to be associated with it. And, of course, that was his first hit. So, <laughs> just felt like everything was locked into place like oh well now you can fulfill your destiny of producing <laughs> space be. on a team but now with <laughs> us the style of an orchestra um but yeah it, so that was the first recording and that kind of got everyone excited about the potential for more recording so it had to be included and of course it's the one that tony produced so of course we're going to put it on the album of course as like sort of stars align in there isn't it what an amazing story yeah, I know. It was one of those pinch me moments, definitely. <laughs> so the, the David Bowie stylophone, was, is that, did that come out about the same time or has that been out already? Was that included in the song? No, the David Bowie-themed special edition white stylophone um, is relatively new. I think it came out maybe a couple months ago, like late oh, okay. 2021. I want to say, yeah, and um, it was a special project um, that Dubrek undertook, and I helped them with um, the booklet. So I wrote the little um, little narrative inside the booklet, and there's a couple of stylophone tabs, you know, little scores in there that you can play along along yeah. with. Um, so yeah, the you know the connection with Bowie um, is a really lovely heritage for them to be associated with. You know, the the more we focus on Bowie, the less we focus on Rolf Harris, and that's probably good. <laughs> that is that is a good. I've said before, do my feature. <laughs> yeah. I'm never going to use the phrase. Can you guess what it is yet? When I'm trying to play it, because it, <laughs> it's a it's a funny old trio to be involved in. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we know that. Well, I probably shouldn't have even brought it up, but the less we mention it, the better. Yeah. Um, but of course, <laughs> there's a lot of style of phones uh, in Bowie's work. You know, um, it pops up again around 1999, 2000. Um, he's used it, you know, a number of times, not just in that one song. And there's no other artist that has really done that uh, or so, so, so associated with. So it's nice that there's a special edition version of the instrument. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned you, you wrote a little bit in the booklet for the, the Bowie uh, stylophone. You've written a bit more than that. I think his songs are a big influence on people, um, but I feel like I'm talking to the leading expert on his music. You quite literally wrote the book on Bowie. Well, I wrote a book. I wouldn't say the <laughs> book. I mean, there's so many Bowie books getting around now. I just thought I'd just get in. I thought it was trendy, so I thought I'd get in on it. No, um, I've written... I've written a book about the last works. So when he came back in 2013 and he died only three years later, um, I've sort of written a book exploring that really, really interesting period. And what, what moved you to kind of to take on that and write, write about? I mean, obviously, Bushumi is a, a big influence on your, your musical upbringing. Um, yeah, obviously. Um, I'm a big fan and have been for a long time. And um Part, part of it is quite mundane. You know, um, at uni as a researcher, it's kind of expected that you write a monograph. And I thought if I'm going to write a monograph, I you know, should do something that I at least know a lot about, which, you know, I thought Bowie would be good. And there's actually not many musicological uh, studies of Bowie. There's a lot of books about Bowie and his importance to culture, but not many people actually dig into his music. So I saw a bit of a gap there. And um, the last works just really blew me away. And I th think a lot of people... Um, maybe haven't 
looked at them as much as they've looked at his 70s work because it just happened a few years ago yeah but um it was really one of my favorite periods of his career and really quite amazing artistry on display and very sort of deep and very integrated into his whole oeuvre and I just thought it was a really nice subject for a book to explore um and so I chose that you know and 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 having access to Tony was also um, something that also inspired me too. You know, we started Visconti Studio in 2016, the year that Bowie died. And um, being around Tony as he was sort of navigating the post-Bowie world, um, you know, and seeing all the questions and all of the interest that everyone has, um, asking questions about this period, also sort of drove me to, you know, want to explore it as well. Yeah, I guess being in and around him and around that that time, it fed your you're interested in it. So how has all the things you've learned, discovered and, and written about in the book, um, has that in any way influenced your creativity as a, a musician or a, a composer? Um, it's hard to say. Uh, you know, it feels like I've just spent the last three years writing this book. I haven't um, let it soak in or filter into my music practice too much. The The music project that I made immediately after was the Stylophone Orchestra album, which is, you know, is what it is. Um, it's not necessarily inspired in any deep way from the Bowie research, but, um, you know, always um, my music is inspired by the kind of um, questing and questioning artistry of Bowie. He sort of was very keen to explore was really open to process and uh, I think probably I'm that's the thing that I draw from the most you know um, I'm not a famous musician by any stretch of the imagination but in my work I really get a lot of pleasure from you know exploring the limits of, of a situation or, or some kind of um, concept whether it yeah. be like working with stylophones or whether it be working with tape or whether it be just exploring um, an instrument on its own and um, yeah, certainly Bowie's um, openness to process and, you know, willing to play games, willing to embed riddles, willing to make things complicated and willing to explore tensions is something that um, inspires me all the time. And yeah, I've definitely grabbed a bit of that in my work for sure. Awesome. I, I, you sound like the, the person to go to for, uh, for teaching advice and stuff on that kind of thing. I was, I've always thought the same. If you give yourself um, a set of parameters or a real restriction on what you're going to create you can actually create more than if you just give yourself a blank page and say I can do anything um, a little bit of yeah. uh, limitation definitely no, I, inspires I believe more. that I really do and um, I think that the tyranny of choice is sometimes paralyzing when um, but when you're faced with a limit um, then that galvanizes your creativity to try and you know either stretch it or overcome it or topple it or trouble it and to me that just creates a, a coherent sort of um result uh, I don't know I'm I just I really love just creativity in general so uh you know anything that pushes up against limits or explores the boundaries of a set area or you know tries to bend um the edges of something I, I'm really drawn to it we'll break the rules I love it yeah, I love it exactly yeah so, Leah, where can we find out more about you, about your book, about the Stylophone Orchestra? Right. Um, well, I, I do have a website, but I must admit I haven't updated it in the last couple of weeks. Um, but, yes, it's just leahcardos.com or leahcardos.me. I had a two-for-one deal with my um, domain registrar oh, nice account. Result. So <laughs> both of those will reach 
Excuse me. Um, and just generally around, I think, you know, whatever has happened, the stars have aligned that my book and the Style Fan Orchestra have come out at the same time, um, which is really cool. But it just means that, you know, there's probably a lot of me just um, tooting my horn on social media. So you should be able to find <laughs> me retweeting things um, around. I have music um, that's out on Spotify uh, if anyone's interested. It's um, as, I, as I said before, it's a bit of a ragbag of different things because, as I say, each project is exploring a different thing in itself. But, um, yeah, all of it to me is the same thing, you know, whether I'm writing about music or making it or, you know, doing the stylophone orchestra or teaching, to me it's all part of this music practice, you know, where you talk about, you make, you, you listen to, you create, you reflect on this thing that you love, which is music. And to me, it really does blur around the edges um, a lot of the time. So I don't feel like I'm a multi-hyphenate person. <laughs> I feel like I'm a music enthusiast. Yeah. yeah. They all, they all make the whole, this is the thing that's it. You can yeah, take a little right. bit of all of it and I can feel your passion coming off the screen. Leah, it's been great to talk to you. Uh, thanks for your time. Uh, a big love to everyone oh, it's been a pleasure. in the Thank orchestra. Um, I know rehearsals are just about to start. Do let me know if you have any yes. uh, vacancies. Happy to bring my stylophone along anytime. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be amazing to have you in the group. <laughs> we'll make that happen. Leah, thanks for joining mm -hmm. us. We'll speak soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the interview, then please share it. Uh, if you didn't enjoy it, then share it anyway. <laughs> for more guest interviews like this or to get the next one delivered directly to your device, subscribe to the Now You're Talking podcast. You'll find it wherever you get your podcasts from. And the whole thing has become a huge library featuring well over 150 guest interviews from music, film, comedy icons to community heroes, local legends, stars of the future, and just about everybody in between. A treasure trove of life's stories from all sorts of incredible people. So for more interviews, podcasts, videos, poems, and books, everything I do is available at stuartpink.com.